0: This is Fiona Cuthbertson coming from the pod to record another episode of Off the Cuff. Today we are welcoming Superintendent Patrick Holdaway from the City of London Police. Patrick joined Hampshire Constabulary in 1995 and worked in various operational strategic roles. In 2014 he became the first business crime lead for the force and set up the Safer Hampshire Business Partnership as well as several other initiatives to support businesses and reduce business crime. His expertise in this area meant that in December 2018, he was promoted into the leadership of the National Business Crime Centre and that in December 2021, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame at the Retail Risk Awards. Welcome, Patrick.
1: Good morning and welcome, Fiona. Nice to see you.
0: Thank you very much. So firstly, can you tell us a bit about your career?
1: Yes, as you said, I started in ninety five. The vast majority of it was in Hampshire and my roles there were predominantly around kind of partnership working. So whether it was a local neighbourhood sergeant, strategic roles within partnership working or in senior leadership roles. So that's kind of where my interest has been. Which is where I think I probably got involved in business crime. So, when police and crime commissioners were first introduced, I became his first staff officer. And at the time, the Federated Small Businesses were engaging with the police and crime commissioner. And this is back in 2013, 2014. And it was kind of that time then, I suppose, I picked up and became aware of business crime and the impact upon businesses, and became the force lead within Hampshire, and it kind of grew really. It was one of those areas where I think at the time there wasn't a lot of interest in it, so people just people just left me alone to get on with it, which gave me all sorts of scope to get involved with lots of different initiatives and different groups.
0: And tell us a bit about your work supporting Operation TALA, the National Police Crime bonds to COVID-19.
1: One afternoon, we got a phone call from somebody saying, well, police have put together a national team to deal with Octala in terms of the COVID response. They heard I might have some connections with some businesses. Well, actually, by that time, we'd had an extensive list of businesses we could engage with. So a police, food, retail liaison team was set up. There's only a small team, about four or five of us. But we engaged all sorts of different elements of sector businesses. So security, courier sector in terms of deliveries, etc. So we did quite a lot and did a lot of work with those the time, 5G masks were going up in flames. People were blaming those for the spread of COVID, etc. So there's a lot of work going on with the telecom communication companies. And that work eventually got the National Crime Agency involved as well. I think that's really where we demonstrated the value of the National Business Crime Centre, because we had those pre-existing relationships with businesses, and we're able to go to them and get that level of confidence and response to feed back into policing. When the government were like looking at bringing legislation around face masks, you know, we were able to kind of influence that. and We allowed that retailers could remove face masks for the purpose of identification because that bit was being missed. Without that, it kind of meant that shoplifters could have gone in with their face masks on and retailers would have been really difficult to try and get them removed. So it was a small part of the cog, but an all-important one in terms of the response and role that we played within it.
0: Absolutely. And regarding the National Business Crime Centre, what achievement do you think has made the most difference?
1: I think it's our website if you google now business crime i think we come up certainly as the top hit across the uk if not wider level of guidance information and advice we've got there for businesses i think is unparalleled across across the country that's only just going to continue to grow
0: and what was it like to be inducted into the hall of fame at the retail risk awards
1: it was a nice surprise. People told me afterwards they thought it was to be expected, but yeah, it was a really nice surprise because it's one of those things I think a lot of people give a bit of a view on. I think it was after the COVID time with a lot of work. The NBCC was done kind to of like two people, so there was a lot of work on those that were left. So I think it was it was a nice bit of recognition of the work that we did to, to support businesses.
0: And though politically neutral, you have to work alongside the government in order to achieve your objectives. So what would you say the best example of this happening is in practice?
1: We gave evidence as part of the Home Affairs Select Committee. The paying for the website was being done on the basis of some funding. We've got a really good relationship with the Home Office Retail Crime Team, and that really makes a difference. And I think we're able to give them some support of the work that they want to do nationally.
0: And if you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be?
1: We're not sponsored by anybody, and I think that's really important. So the advice and the guidance we give is very much neutral. It's based upon kind of best practice and evidence. The level of trust we have with retailers is really, really important to me. And I can't not work with businesses to get this job done. And sometimes people say, well, you're working with them, you're working that. Well, I think we always make a point of being really open and really transparent around what we do. And I think it's, I did what I could and I worked with everybody. I was seen as kind of common sense and had some good ideas and we had a few successes along the way.
0: And what is the most important lesson you've learned over your career?
1: Trust and independence. And sometimes that means you have to give those uncomfortable truths. Sometimes you have to say how it is, and it might not be what they want to hear. And I think sometimes we do some really small things for businesses. You know, they right, they come to contact with some contacts, and they're quite minor. But I think they're really important because, again, I think it's all about building that trust and confidence around what we do.
0: We're lucky enough to work together on the issue of retail crime. And the government has given us their assurance that there'll be a zero-tolerance response from the police on the issue, whilst the Labour Party has said they'll make it a standalone offence for violent and abusive behaviour towards retail workers. So what do you think will make a difference?
1: The government have put in place the the aggravating factor as part of the Police, Crime, Sins and Courts Act, The challenge is is that there is nothing that we can measure the effectiveness of that. And I I think that that is a real challenge for us because I think actually we probably do some really good work. And I think it's because we haven't got that data, retailers, et cetera, are looking to bring in that standalone offence. The challenge with the standalone offence is, of course, it's very much specific to to shop workers. If you look at the model in Scotland, it doesn't include private security. And there are a number of other sectors that we engage with that equally come across issues of violence and abuse. And the danger is you do that for retail workers How does that sit with everyone else? So I do think that the aggravating factor was the right way to go. I think we've just got that gap around actually how we can kind of capture it. In terms of what make a difference, the launch of the Retail Crime Action Plan, there has been a greater emphasis on forces to put some efforts into their work around the retail sector. And, And I think it was quite right. There's been increased interest around retail crime. And we're doing quite a bit of work around trying to capture that data. And often if we don't turn up, it's because the police forces are busy with another call. We can't be everywhere at once. But I think that greater emphasis has is, is definitely made a difference.
0: And it is also about reporting, because at the moment, 82% of retailers, according to the British Independent Retail Association, don't even bother reporting physical attacks on staff, even though they're obviously sometimes too traumatised to go back to work afterwards. So how are you going to help to change reporting
1: We've done a bit of work, a bit of a dip sample around the violence against shop workers. We do find on many occasions the shop workers themselves don't support a police prosecution. And that would be for a multitude of reasons. So some retailers are very local in the community, so they may feel a bit intimidated if it's a local offender. Some of the assaults are pushing and shoving and they don't want to go to court. They don't want to give evidence. Um, I would be disappointed, you know, certainly when you get the more serious types of assault. And we've got some really good examples where it has happened. You know, the police have been really, really supportive and pushing those through. But the level of reporting for me is really really important it is massively underreported. i think the current reporting methods don't help you fill a crime in online you've got another crime you've got to start all over again there's got to be a way that we can do a bit of a bulk upload and try and make it a bit easier for retailers to report i think and i think the neighborhood bit is, is the massively important bit for local retailers it's about going into local stores building those relationships which is why we do a lot of work around our safer business action days which in essence is predefined area. Retailers, private security work with local police forces. And for me, those days aren't all about arrests. For me, they're about building relationships, creating that understanding. So whilst there might be a single day of activity, the legacy of those days is that continued kind of relationship and ongoing working.
0: And do you think social media has changed the face of retail crime?
1: I think there's been some videos of people that have gone into a store and they've been shoplifting and feel that they've got away with it with impunity. I think other people have seen that and that's maybe encouraged them. The challenges for retailers is that on occasions they have interjected, they then get assaulted. So one argument we're telling retailers, you know, the retailers are trying to look after the staff by saying, don't go and approach people. But equally, at the other end, people think they can get away with it if they're not challenged. So it's just trying to come up with that balance. I think, like many things, people do see what they see on social media and it can be a bit of an influence.
0: And obviously, if crime is more organised, then it is also likely to cross police forces. So how are we going to make sure that you work yeah. alongside other police forces to get the prosecutions that need to happen?
1: Certainly, so the cross-border bit, you've got the Pegasus project, which is set up with support from the retailers. And I think the whole point of that is to try and increase that level of engagement with the the different police forces and kind of bring them together to work better in partnership.
0: I was going to mention Pegasus, and obviously that's a very important operation. How can we make sure that independent retailers who are less able to afford retail crime because they don't have anything to offset it against are included in this, considering they're not paying for it?
1: By paying into the money, those retailers will have a seat at the table of Pegasus, but the the impact will support everybody. So, yes, there might be a small independent or even another retailer that's not contributing towards it, but... That's not to say that the police won't consider that, you know, we we just can't be in that position where you're paying, in essence, a private policing, you know, that the money was there to to establish the group, because I think we talk about organised crime, but we don't really understand how big it is, where the links are. And I think the whole purpose of Pegasus is to do exactly that. So we understand what, that, what we call a threat assessment. So, you know, I can give you that assurance that certainly independent retailers or those not involved in the funding will still see a benefit of that project.
0: And do you think the cost of living crisis has also accentuated retail crime?
1: I think it's been over-egged in terms of the impact of the cost of living. I, don't, I mean, there's always, it's always going to be people that will commit crime because they want to save some money. But is it their main driver? I don't know. I think everyone's under pressure increasing levels of bills. I think it has an impact, but I, I don't think it's as big as perhaps what the, the press and perhaps some others have, have made of it. Because many are committing crime due to addictions, whether it's drugs or alcohol, etc. And I think that needs to be tackled.
0: Talking about press, 24-hour news means that some subjects are done to death, others are missed. What work are you currently undertaking that you can speak about, of course, that needs to be on the public's radar that currently isn't?
1: So we're obviously doing a lot of the performance indicators, the retrial crime action plan, because I think it's important to kind of give retailers the confidence that the police forces are doing that. So doing some work around theft of tobacco. Tobacco from 2019 is subject to what we call a track and trace, so you can actually track the products and from the where they're made right through to where they're sold. Tobacco appears in many, many different crime types. It's got a, a commonality in terms of burglaries and attacks on vehicles, etc. So we're doing a bit of work around that because we think that that track and trace methodology, which was designed to deal with counterfeit tobacco, could actually be used to, to identify stolen tobacco. It's, it's a bit of a registration plate. If you think of a car, you know, a car's shown as stolen, I think you could show that's tobacco.
0: And could that track and trace be used for other types of products as well?
1: Potentially, I think the challenge is if you start looking at, say, alcohol, which is the one that's often looked at, you've got a number of microbreweries. So I think the bureaucracy involved for that would be difficult. But I think you've got things, perfumes, et cetera, you you kind of high value stuff and maybe even the high value kind of alcohol bits you could do. Because a lot of it is is trying to give the public some reassurance that what they're buying is legitimate.
0: And obviously, you have to be totally neutral to party politics. So I won't ask you who you think is going to win the next election. But do you think social media will impact people's decisions?
1: I think we have. And I think we've probably seen with Brexit and with social media play quite a strong part in terms of influencing people's views. So yes, most definitely, I think it's it's going to play have a role to play. So I think those agencies that then provide that fact finding, is it a true, uh, true or not, I think is really, really important to make sure the public have all the information so they can make the right decision.
0: And what do you think is going to be the most important issue that you think people need to think about when they go to the ballot box?
1: We've come through austerity and then Brexit and then Covid. I think people want to start see that things are starting to improve. So I think it's about having those plans, isn't it, to see how the country is going to develop. People feel they're a bit wealthy, a bit more money in their pocket. Certainly, I'll be looking for what does the future look like? I think it's going to be difficult for the next couple of years for lack of funding. But I think that's what the public are looking for, some of those answers around it. But I think people need to be realistic, don't they? Neither party will have a massive pot of money to be able to go and play with. So I think we need to be a bit patient in terms of what's being delivered.
0: And do you feel positive about the future?
1: I think so I think things improving certainly in terms of the work I do never been so much interest in retail crime and you know whether that's through government or PCCs, police and crime commissioners or through local forces I I definitely see it's really improving and I think it's really really positive how we support local neighbours is really really important so we could definitely see some really positive changes.
0: And finally what gives you most hope for the next generation?
1: Just that will to try and succeed and try and improve things, I think. And people being open to some new ideas. Let's see what the next generation can help bring through.
0: And on that, Patrick, thank you very much for coming to talk to us today. It's been really interesting to hear about the work the police forces do and how much effort goes into initiatives that you undertake. And thank you to the listeners who've hopefully enjoyed the show as much as we've enjoyed making it. If you have any questions regarding the podcast today, please feel free to comment. If you think it's worth coming back, please like and subscribe. If you feel that you need something to tide you over to the next podcast, please buy my book Party Games on Amazon. And on that note, I'll see you next time. Hope you have a good week, one and all.